I want you to think with me a little bit tonight uh, as we begin before we get to our text. Think about this. Who is in charge of the church? Is the, is the deacon board in charge of the church? What do you think? No. It, it, how about the pastor? Is the pastor in charge of the church? I know it's the people. Are the people in charge of the church? No. We believe based on the Word of God that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is our head. And have you ever thought about this, that in your body, where your head goes is where the rest of you go? You know, like if uh, somebody's running at you really hard and you just kind of take their head and grab it and shove it to the side, they fall down. Now, that might be hard to do when you're a grown person, but you've seen it with little kids sometimes. You know, they're just like running hard into something and you just kind of push them to the side and they just kind of veer off because their head pulls them. You always, your body always follows where your head leads. And the same is, is true when it comes to the body of Christ, which is the church, that we follow our head, or at least we should follow our head. The reality, I think, though, in many, many cases, many times in our lives and maybe in our churches, we find ourselves at odds with the head or going in a different direction than our head wants us to go. And part of that issue comes down to a question of purpose and mission. Why am I here and what am I supposed to be doing? Why did Christ come and what was he doing? And you know, it's interesting during the time when Jesus Christ walked on this earth that lots and lots of people struggled to understand his purpose. You know, some of the people thought he was just a rabble rouser, that he was just gathering the crowds together and making a lot of noise, but he was just there to kind of cause a ruckus or a riot. There were other people that hoped and they thought that perhaps Jesus had come to overthrow the Romans. That by Jesus coming to this earth and him leading the Jews, that they were going to finally throw off their enemies, the Romans, and they would finally be free. But Jesus disappointed a lot of people when they found out that he had not come to overthrow the Romans. Jesus didn't come just to stir up a mob. You know, Jesus didn't come just to do miracles. He didn't come just to be a nice person. No, Jesus in his own words tells us why he came. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, he said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You know, Jesus came so that you could have life and not just a life, but an abundant life. Life, that means a full life, a fruitful life, a life of value, a life of consequence. Jesus said in another place in Luke 19 and verse 10, he said, For the Son of Man, talking about himself, talking about Jesus, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, I'm thankful that Jesus came to save the lost. Because the Bible is so clear when it says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Without Jesus, we have no hope. We are dead. We're lost. And Jesus came to seek and to save. 
that which was lost. You know what that means? He came to look for, to find, and to draw out, to save, to put into a place of safety, to bring dead things to life, to make lost things found. Boy, it's frustrating when you lose something, isn't it? You find, you have this thing and all of a sudden you put it down and you go back and it's not where you put it. If you ever visit my office, you'll understand that I'm one of those people that kind of lives in a little bit of organized chaos. Anybody else like that? You know, there are some around here that have their, they're very neat and their desk is clean every day when they go home. Sad to say, I have to admit it, my desk is not clean often when I go home. That being said, I can find everything in my desk. I know where it is. And I know I work on this all the time. I'm confessing my faults to you right now. This is one of them. I know it's better to have a clean desk. I know you can be more efficient and all those things. And I'm always trying to work towards it. And there are days where at least for, you know, 30 seconds or so, I'll have a clean desk and then it goes right back to it. And some people say, well, if you would clean it up, then you wouldn't lose things. But I always find that when it is clean, that's when I tend to lose stuff. It's frustrating to lose things. But think about it in this context. What could be worse than losing your life? In fact, Jesus said, when he was talking to one man, he said, it's better if you're able to gain your soul, right? Not to, you shouldn't gain the whole world and lose your soul. So the converse is true that we ought not to just gain something that won't last. Rather, we ought to be able to see our soul saved. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, in our church, we've talked a lot about the Great Commission. I preached on this on Sunday on the Great Commission. But one of the things we're doing a lot of this week is handing out flyers and inviting people to a, some events at our church and at, at New Life and at Mount Zion this week. And we often think of the Great Commission in its uh, reality as just something where we evangelize the lost, we find the lost. And Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. But in saving them, what did he save them to? Well, he told us in the verse I read in John 10, 10, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. See, the Great Commission, it's not just about evangelism or spiritual birth. It's really focused on spiritual reproduction. You know what spiritual reproduction is? That's new believers in Christ being born into the family of God, growing in their relationship with God, developing, and then being able to reproduce themselves and lead somebody else to Christ. You know, this idea of reproduction goes clear back to the beginning. In fact, the first chapter in your Bible, Genesis 1 and verse 28, after God created the whole world and Adam and Eve, he told Adam and Eve to do something. He said, God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And when you look at that in the context of the rest of scripture, I believe God was speaking there, not just about physical reproduction. He was talking about spiritual reproduction as well because at this point, Adam and Eve are walking and talking with God every day in the Garden of Eden. And he says, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And of course, we know not long after that, Adam and Eve sinned. They broke God's law and because of that, they were placed under the curse of death because of their sin. Sin brings death. And so we needed a Savior and Jesus Christ is that Savior. 
Jesus, when He was on this earth, He clearly communicated His purpose. His purpose was to give life, to give abundant life, to save the lost. But many of His followers were confused about that purpose. Jesus, as well, has communicated very clearly to us what our purpose is as well. Jesus tells us right in His Word. But the sad thing is that many believers today are confused about what their purpose is. In fact, I would say if you go into any church, probably even in our church, and you were to just interview people as they come in and say, what's your purpose? What's your job here? And there may be some of you that would say, well, I don't really know. I don't know. Or maybe I hope one day this is what it will be. When Jesus was coming to the last few moments of his time here on earth, he had gathered all of his disciples around him, and he spoke a few final words to them. I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be tonight. These are the last words of Jesus on this earth that we have recorded for us in the Word of God. Look with me, if you will, first at verse number 8 and 9. Jesus said to his disciples there, he said, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. If you've been in church any amount of time, those are pretty familiar verses to you. What's Jesus saying here? Well, he tells them that they're going to be witnesses. In fact, this theme of witnessing is found throughout the entire rest of the book of Acts. This word witness is applied to 15, to believers 15 different times in the book. In fact, there are probably at least 60 examples of both public and private witnessing found in the book of Acts. And because of that, you can really organize the book of Acts around this theme of witness. In chapters 1 through 7, we see the witness in Jerusalem as the people carried the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel there in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 12, we see the witness going to Judea and Samaria to that next level that he talks about in Acts 1.8. And then in chapters 13 through 28, we see the witness as it expands out to the uttermost part of the earth. But here at the end of this chapter, chapter 1 in Acts, when you look at the people that were gathered together, there were 120 believers gathered in a room together. And they were just waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. Think about it. Jesus had ministered on the earth for three and a half years. He had preached to thousands. He had fed thousands with just a few loaves and a few fish. He had brought the dead back to life. He had healed the sick. Jesus, at this point, had already been crucified. He had risen again three days later. Over the next 40 days, he appeared to hundreds of his followers... And he gave them evidence that was beyond question of his resurrection. And then he ascended up to heaven within sight of people who watched him ascend up to heaven. And after all that, there's 120 people gathered together. I, I don't know, when I read that, I think, 
That's surprising to me. We might like to think, well, surely more people would have gathered around. I mean, that's exciting stuff. There were many who were lookers, many who followed Jesus for a brief time, but there were only a few true disciples. This group, they were waiting, they were wondering, they were hoping. This was an oppressed group. They were oppressed by both the Roman government and the other Jewish people because they were followers of Jesus. Jesus to the religious elite in Judaism, were, he was an outcast. Can you imagine the uncertainty that must have been going on inside of them? The questions like, why are we here and what are we doing? Now, your situation is probably different than those disciples, I understand. But do you ever deal with the uncertainty in your life? Like, why are we here and what are we doing? Like, this week, what am I doing? This year, what am I, what's going to happen in my life? The big news today, uh, the big economic news today was that the report came out about the rate of inflation, high rate of inflation. Well, for those who pay bills, that brings a lot of uncertainty in their life. How am I going to do this? Am I going to be able to be okay? And the reality is this, everywhere we look, there's always things that we are uncertain about, that we don't know what's going to happen. These believers were no different. Their life day to day was filled with uncertainty. As a teenager, I remember thinking like, okay, I know what I'm doing this week, but what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month? What's it going to be like when I go back to school and I see those people again that I haven't seen all summer? What's it going to be like when I go off to college for my first year? Who am I going to meet? Who are going to be my friends? We all have uncertainty in our life, and you could probably add lots of other things. You know what it feels like. It sort of feels like that pit in the bottom of your stomach, and you're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. I think that's kind of where these people are at. So let's look back at our text, and I want to look at a few verses around in the context here to understand what Jesus told these early believers, these early disciples, and how that can instruct us about our mission. Because the truth is this, and this is the title of the message tonight, that Christ's mission must be your mission. If He's the head, then the direction He's going ought to be the direction that we're going. And if we're trying to go a direction that is contrary to his direction, then we're just going to be frustrated and we're not going to end up where we want to be and we're not going to experience what God wants us to experience in our lives. So let's look first of all at verses 4 and 5. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, this is Jesus speaking to these followers, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. He said, I want you to wait here for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. What did Jesus promise to them? He promised this back in John chapter 17 when he promised that he would send them a comforter. He would send his spirit. And it says there in verse number five, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days Hence, Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Ghost. 
If you've got some notes when you came in here tonight, if you didn't, that's okay. Maybe you can draw, jot it somewhere else down. But I want you to catch this. This is so important because we all think about mission and purpose and why am I here and where am I going? But the reality is this. You must have the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish your mission, to accomplish the mission that God has given you to do. In a few moments, we're going to talk more specifically about what that mission is. But if you don't have the ability, if you don't have the wherewithal to perform that, to make it happen, to get it done, then it's really worthless. I mean, you might sit here tonight and say, well, if I had a million dollars, I know what I would do. But you don't have a million dollars. So it really doesn't matter, does it? Does it matter what our mission is if we don't have the power to accomplish it? Maybe not very much. And I think for some, we struggle with the mission, the purpose that we've been put here with because we don't realize God's given us the power to accomplish what he's told us to do. We look at some of the things that God tells us to do and we say, that's overwhelming, I could never do that. And you're exactly right, you can't do it in your own strength. You can't accomplish this mission in your own strength. That's why you must have the Holy Spirit's power. And it was no different for these believers in the book of Acts. And these were the people who had walked with Jesus, had seen his miracles, but they were not any more able to perform the work that God had given them to do than you and I are today if we don't have the Holy Spirit of God. See, they were waiting to receive the Holy Spirit of God because Jesus had just ascended. He said He would send His Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit was something that they had to wait for. But did you know it's not something that we have to wait for today? In Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, the wonderful thing for us today when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, because He's already ascended up into heaven, we also receive the Holy Spirit of God. That's not some spooky thing. It's just... God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, who has the same power that God the Father has and that Jesus Christ has. It's the same God, just a different person of that God, who now indwells us as believers. We don't have to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we must be controlled by and filled with the Spirit of God if we're going to do anything for the Lord. So what does it mean to be controlled by the Spirit? Well, it starts with confessing your sin to God. Because what divides us from God? What separates us from God? It's our sin. Sin keeps us from a close relationship with God. But the blessing of a believer is, as a child of God, you have direct access to Him and you can confess your sin. And the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confess your sin. But how do you know what the Spirit's telling you to do? How do you know how to follow His leading? How do you know? If I said, guys, all right, what's the Holy Spirit telling you to do? What would you do? Well, I don't know. Do we get up and walk around? Do we lick our finger and hold it in the air and hope that it gets chilly on one side and so we know that's the direction to go? Here's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God always agrees with the Word of God. And so if you will learn to 
Yes, confess your sin, make sure you're right with God, but take time to learn what God's Word says. God will take His Word, and by the power of His Holy Spirit, He will speak to your heart to guide and direct you to where He wants you to be. It's really not that complicated. As youth pastors, we often preach messages on the will of God. God's will is right here for every single one of us. It's contained right on the pages of this wonderful book. This is the Word of God, which has the will of God for your life. But here's the thing. If I just read this Word as if it's just something to read when I have nothing else to do, if I just read this Word when maybe all my friends are doing, so I better do it too, or just to check my box or keep my streak alive in my Bible app, then am I really reading God's Word to hear what God has to say? Or am I just reading it just so I can check off the box? I think we ought to let the Word of God speak to us as we read it, as we study it, as we spend time in it, as we memorize it, as we meditate on it, and then learn to listen to what God's saying. I like the scripture that says this, What time I am afraid, do you know the rest of it? I will trust in thee. So I can read those as just words on the page. Or I can say, you know what? God is telling me by his Holy Spirit through his word that when I struggle with fear, instead of wallowing in the fear, I need to trust in God. How do I trust in God? Well, I go to what his word says and say, God, teach me how to understand who you are. Oh, I read in God's word that God's ways are not our ways. So you know what that means? There are going to be things that you face in life that don't make sense. But then you say, wait a minute. God told me that those things weren't going to make sense. But God's doing some things that I don't understand, that I can't even see, that I can't wrap my little brain around. But God knows because he's in control. Therefore, I don't need to be afraid when unknown things are taking place because I'm trusting in God and I can rely on the word of God as the Holy Spirit of God takes it and shows it to me and helps me to understand it. And then I can live in it by faith. We overcomplicate this stuff sometimes, don't we? We think that a relationship with God is some kind of spooky thing, but it's no different in one sense than a child's relationship to their parent. Right? There's a lot of children in here. In fact, if we're honest, every single one of us in here is a child of somebody, right? Even if your parents are no longer here, you're a child of somebody. So think about this. If mom or dad tells you something to do, you could take it as just ah, noise coming out of their mouth. You know, the children's cartoon, uh, the, the, the Peanuts cartoon, when the, when the parents speak, it's just sort of you can't even understand what they're saying in the background. We can treat our parents that way, right? Ah, it's just noise. Mom and dad are talking, but I don't, I'm not paying attention to what they say. Or we could listen to what they say and fail to do what they say. Or you can listen and actually heed and obey what they tell you to do, right? Those are kind of your options. You can ignore it. You can listen to it and disobey it. Or you can listen to it and obey it. You know, the same thing's true with the Word of God. The same thing's true with the Spirit of God. You can ignore Him. The Bible even tells us you can quench the Spirit. You can disobey Him. Or you can listen to Him as He speaks to you through the Word of God and obey it. I don't want to go any longer on this point. 
But my friends, every single one of you tonight, none of us stand, sits here, and I'm not standing here as somebody who always does this perfectly. It's a battle against the flesh. But the reality is we will never accomplish the mission for Christ if we're not willing to submit ourselves to and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, look at what he tells them to do in verses 6 and 7. It says, When they were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Okay, we know what it is. When the Holy Spirit comes, then Jesus is finally going to restore the kingdom of Israel. We've been waiting for the Romans to be overthrown. Now it's going to actually happen. This is going to be awesome. We're going to have our freedom back. We're not going to have to pay so many taxes anymore. Remember that whole render under Caesar, the things that are Caesar thing? Yeah, we're we're not going to have to do that anymore because he's going to overthrow the Romans. Is this the time, Lord, that this is going to happen? That's what they're asking, right? But what does the Lord say to them? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power. So if we're going, if our mission is going to be in line with Christ's mission, then here's the second thing. You must focus on your known mission, not on the unknowns around you. Because here's the reality. Young people, old people, and everybody in between, we get distracted a lot, don't we? There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of things to think about, a lot of stuff to do, a lot of things to be concerned about. What about this? What about that? And they were concerned about important things, paying taxes. They were concerned about personal freedom. They were concerned about a, 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 a powerful entity, a powerful government that, by the way, was a wicked government that did all kinds of horrible things to people. And they say, is, is this the time the Lord's going to overthrow all of the evil that is Rome? And he says, no. It's not for you to know the time or the seasons. Here's the encouraging thing. When you read the Word of God, let me let you in on a secret. Someday He will set all those wrongs right. Someday all of those wicked things will be put aside. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 says there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say, well, when is that day? Do you need to know when that day is to be able to serve God today? Or can you walk by faith and live within the mission that you know God has for you to do and trust Him with the unknowns? God's given us everything we need to live in this world. Here's the simple truth. You don't have to know God's timeline to trust God's plan. I mean, boy, this happens at your house, doesn't it? Hey, Mom, when are we going? Where are we, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to eat? That's an important one. Some of you wake up in the morning and you want to know what is for lunch before you're willing to get out of bed and get anything accomplished in the morning because it's important to eat. Listen, it is important to eat. But you know what? You don't have to know what's for lunch to be able to get out of bed and do what you need to do in the morning. You, you don't need to know what's going to take place tomorrow in order to be able to live today. In fact, God gives us enough for each day to be able to serve Him in that day. 
I'm not saying we don't think. I'm not saying we don't use our minds. I'm not saying we don't take biblical truth and apply it to our lives. What I'm saying is we ought not to get distracted and caught up in all kinds of other things that keep us from what God wants us to do because we're so concerned about all these little timeline details that we forget to be faithful, to trust God's plan and serve Him faithfully right where we are. Because this is the truth. It'll happen when God's ready for it to happen. Jesus is coming back. We know that's true. And his, he tells us, we just need to be ready. We need to be ready. And we stay ready by being faithful to serve Him. So we understand that you have to have the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish the mission. You have to focus on the known mission. What is this mission? And not on the unknowns around you. So what's the mission? Let's look at verse 8. He lays it out very simply. He tells them, you don't need to know the times and the seasons. God's going to take care of those things. But he says in verse 8, ye shall receive power. There it is, the power of the Holy Spirit. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And here he tells them, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. This is the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ was to seek and to save that which was lost, right? To speak the truth and point people to his Father. And guess what? Your mission is the same as Christ's mission. It's the same. But the thing is, you can't save anybody. You say, well, how are we supposed to do the same thing as him if we can't do what he did? You can't do it in your own strength. You've got to have his power. You can't do it according to your plan. You have to do it according to his plan. You must be a witness for Christ. But right here in verse number 8, he describes everything we need for this mission that we've been put upon. First of all, we see the means to accomplish this mission. The means is the Holy Spirit. He's the power. This isn't going to be like, all right, we're going to get up in the morning today. And boy, it's going to be a great day. And I'm going to lead 10 people to Jesus today. You don't know that. Today's going to be a great day. I am not going to sin today. I've just decided no more sin for me. Well, that's nice, you proud, arrogant person. <laughs> just wait, right? No, you, you can't make those decisions. And even if you do, you'll fail. Because this is not something you do in your own power. We have to have the means to accomplish it, the means of the Holy Spirit. The mission is to be a witness, to be a witness for Christ. But I was doing some thinking, what does it mean to witness for Christ? Does that just mean to tell somebody about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how they can have eternal life and their sins can be forgiven? That's part of it, isn't it? A witness to Christ is not just someone who shares how to get to heaven. They are someone who is willing to testify to all that it means to know Christ, to help others to know Him, and to encourage others in the process of becoming followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. You say, that's a lot of stuff wrapped up in the witness. How do you know that's true? Well, just go back to Jesus' words at the end of Matthew 28 when He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. A witness to Christ is not just witnessing to a little fraction of who he is and what he's done. It's a witness to all of who he is and what he's done. You know, we do this even in our modern American judicial system. If you ever be, are called upon to be a witness in a trial, 
you know, you'll have to take an oath to tell what? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what a witness is, is someone who tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So why do we sometimes take the idea of witness and we sort of trim it down so skinny that, well, it's to tell the truth, but just some of the truth. No, our responsibility as witnesses of Jesus Christ is not just to witness of the eternal home in heaven, but also to witness of the daily relationship that comes with one who knows the word of God and one who's growing in their relationship with God. And it's helping to prepare somebody else to also be able to be a witness of Jesus Christ. We want to be able to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And we want others to be able to do the same thing as well. So we see the means, the mission, and we see here the method, the method of accomplishing this witnessing for Christ. He says to Jerusalem, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So where do I witness? Well, at home. So if you're from Matthews, North Carolina, where are you to be a witness? Well, in Matthews, North Carolina. If you live in Houston or Baytown or Texas City, or if you live in Conroe or Huntsville or Spring or the Heights or Garden Oaks, or you name your neighborhood. I think we've got folks here from Iowa tonight, right? Is Iowa. Then you be a witness where you are, in your home, in your community. But he says both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So there's local witness, there's regional, and there's worldwide witness. Now you might slice this a little bit differently than me, that's okay. But if you're from Matthews, North Carolina tonight, you've had the opportunity this week to help be a witness in your Judea and Samaria. Now some of you may feel like this is the uttermost part of the earth, but I don't think it really is. You may feel as hot as the uttermost part of the earth, I don't know. But you're not going to be here all the time, and that's okay, but you can be a witness here while you are here. Someday you might get an opportunity to travel to some foreign country, and you can be a witness there. But in the meantime, you know, I think one of the wonderful ways as a church we can be a part of that, we can pray for those who are not near us, and we can also give and support, whether it's church planting someplace else or missions around the world. I got a note update today from Josh Levesque up in Dearborn, Michigan. We've been praying for them. We've been helping them in their beginning of this new church, and they're excited. They finally got their permission, the local authorization, to be able to meet in their new building. And this coming Saturday, they're having a paint work day. How many of you want to go to Dearborn, Michigan on Saturday and paint a church building? You say, I'd like to go. You know what? We probably can't. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we can pray for them. We can try to encourage them. God's blessed you and you want to help give towards them. You can help give towards them. You can do some things, right? On Friday, it's going to be fun. There's going to be a family fun night here at Rise Baptist Church from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. We've got bounce houses. We've got slip and slides. We've got the Kona ice truck. It's going to be a blast. People are coming. But you know what? There's also going to be one over at New Life Baptist Church. And there's one over at Mount Zion Baptist Church. And some people from here are going to be with David and Adriana, and some people from here are going to be over at Mount Zion, and some are going to be right here. And so being a witness is a wonderful thing. Really, it's wherever you go. Boy, we spend a lot of time either sitting around and fretting 
or arguing and talking about things that don't matter. And he says, here's your mission. Be a witness. Do it in the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit of God and do it locally, do it regionally, and do it wherever you go. Every summer, I try to take out a little time to get away and to pray and seek God's will for our church, this body, Arise Baptist Church. This next week, I'm taking the, my niece and nephew and a couple of my boys to a, to a camp away from here. And, but I'm, I'm just taking them more so they can you know, navigate the airports and do all those kind of things. But once I'm there, my plan is to just have alone time with the Lord, to have time in His Word, have time in prayer, and to have time to just to think and to spend time with God and ask Him for direction and help. You know, it's very important to take time to do those kinds of things. Not just if you're a pastor of a church. It's important for all of us to take time to really seek the Lord's face, really spend time, focus time with Him. You might not have a week, but maybe you've got 30 minutes or 10 minutes or an hour. Maybe you can carve out half a day somewhere, get up early. Do these things. Why? Well, because life is busy. Life is stressful. You know, when our church started, we were just about three or four, four months old. We're coming up on the fifth anniversary of Hurricane Harvey that hit Houston. Larry and I were talking about that today because we met three days after Hurricane Harvey. So that's a special time for Larry and I to think about that's when our friendship began. began. But Hurricane Harvey was not an easy time for Larry. He had six and a half feet of water in his house. I'm not even quite six and a half feet tall. So like the water line in his house was slightly above my head. That's crazy. That's hard. That's difficult. You know, that was a major event in the beginning of our church. And, but even as we've gone on, there's all kinds of other things that happen. People have, have gotten sick. Some have died. We've had funerals. We've had weddings. We have another wedding coming up this fall. We've had people go through marriage struggles and personal struggles, people dealing with addictions and all kinds of different things that go on in people's lives. There's just day-to-day -day life and day-to-day -day struggle. And your stuff may not have made the news. It might not have been big enough for even the pastor or youth pastor to know about, but it's been big in your life. We've been through a pandemic in the last couple of years. There's all kind of economic uncertainty, all kind of change around us in our culture. And the reality is we can get caught up doing so many other things. And God said very simply, yes, you ought to provide for your family. Yes, you ought to be a good citizen. Yes, you ought to live peaceably as much as lies within you. But your primary mission is to be a witness for Christ. And so when I get away, one of the things I like to do is list out all the things I'm doing, all the stuff I'm spending time on. And ask myself, is this really helping me be a, a witness for Christ? Like, how does this relate to the mission that God's put me on? Is it preparing me to, do, to be a better witness? Is it putting me in a position to have opportunity to witness more? Or am I filling up my schedule with frivolous stuff that has value, but it doesn't have eternal value. It's important, but it's not the most important. Because we all get piled up with a bunch of stuff. That's just life, right? It's just like your car going down the road. It's going to get some bugs on the windshield. 
And so from time to time, you got to pull over. you got to get that squeegee out. you got to soap it up. And if you drive through uh, some places here in Texas, especially with heat like this, and you go through the bugs, and then you go through the heat, and it bakes it on. It's like going through an oven, you know. You know how hard it is to get some of those bugs off and clean it, and you got to get that really good chemical stuff that it just kind of dissolves the bugs and takes it all off. Why do you have to do all that? So you can see clearly again. So you can get all that mess out of the way so you can get focused back on where you need to be. And we need to do that in our life too, don't we? One of the things that God's laid on my heart over the last couple of years, and you've seen the fruit of this here, is that as we continue to grow and mature as a church, it's so important for us to clarify our mission, why we're here, to clarify our values. That's why I've been preaching this series this summer on the building blocks of what makes a healthy church? Why is that so important? Because we need to know what, why we're here and know where we're going. Not so you can follow me better, so we can follow Christ better because he is our head. And you know what the truth is? For all of this to function, God's put us not just as a whole bunch of individuals. He's put us all together in a body. So that makes it more exciting and more challenging at the same time. Some of you, you're still at the stage of life, the younger ones in here, where getting up in the morning and keeping track of all your stuff and getting yourself ready and out the door is like a full-time job. And then someday, you might have a baby. You know how hard it is for a first-time mom to get herself ready and the baby ready. It's like she can do one or the other, but not both. And you'll see that happen sometimes. Baby's looking great, mom's like, <laughs> mom's dressed nice and the baby's like just in a diaper today. Like this is all that happened. And we can laugh at the mom, it's, it's just hard. I remember Sunday mornings trying to get ready for church with little ones and you know, you're getting everybody dressed and. Right when you're about to, out the door, everybody's dressed nice and everybody's headed in the right direction. All of a sudden, blow out in the diaper and, you know, it stop, derails the whole thing. If you're holding the baby wrong, it gets on your clothes too. And now you're back to changing and bathing the baby. As we had more and more kids, I, I stopped using wipes and all that. I'd just strip them down and stick them in the shower and hose them down and clean them up and get them dressed. Trying to be, more, be faster and more efficient, do all these things. Why? Because it's complicated to get everybody moving in the same direction. But you know, there's also a great joy and a great blessing in being able to get everybody together and headed in the same direction. You know, I see it on Sunday mornings when our families with young children come in. And, and, and you know mom and dad have worked super hard just to get them there. Maybe they run a little late, maybe a little bit of sweat coming down, down their neck because it was tough to get there. But you see them all in and they're all together and everybody just looks and say, wow, what a beautiful family. And people enjoy that. It's a blessing, but it's a lot of work. You know, the body of Christ is kind of like that. You got people that are heading in a different direction, little babies running this way and that, people making messes causing problems. It's challenging to get everybody heading in the same direction, but when they do, it's a beautiful thing. And it's not just a beautiful thing, it's a powerful thing. And God's put his body together. And you know what? Listen, every single one of you here tonight, whether you live here and a Rise Baptist Church is your home or another church is your home, 
you're part of a body, a local body, or you should be if you're not, where you get to work together to accomplish the mission of God, the mission of Christ, which is your mission and my mission, and that's awesome. It's hard, but it's awesome. It's hard being a parent, but it's awesome. It's exciting. There's so much joy. Because when that whole family gets together and you're all going the same direction, you know, my wife and I have talked about this recently. We're like, boy, when all of our children are all able to clean and take care of themselves, do all these things, right about the time we get close to there, they're going to start leaving home. And then we're going to have to just do it ourselves. And we said, wow, we're doing all this work just for them to leave. But you know, that's what we want them to do. We want them to go on and serve the Lord. Not to leave us, we want them to follow Christ. In the body of Christ, you're working so hard and you see people walking and growing and struggling and going through all the things that they do, but it's a beautiful thing when it's all going in the same direction. And that's the final point I want you to see from our text, and then we're going to be done. Because after Jesus gave His final command to be witnesses to His people, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, And when He'd spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, and there abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. Notice verse 14. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. There was this little moment in time between the ascension of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And in that little moment of time, I mean, it's almost like time just stopped. Because there's no Holy Spirit. Jesus is back in heaven. And this group of people, these were, this was like the core group, right? And they're all together in this upper room. But I love what verse 14 says, how they continued with one accord. What did they continue to do? Well, they continued to do the same things, I think, that they had done with Jesus when He was there with them. And it says they continued in prayer. And it says they continued in supplication. And it says they did this with the women and with His brethren. What do you see here? Well, that you must work together with the body of Christ to accomplish the mission of Christ. God uses people and He uses individuals. We know that to be true. But God's mission of making disciples is a mission that's been given to the local church and it's a mission that's given for us to do together. 
together. You know, it's a lot more fun to do it together. We've had a lot more fun and a lot more laughs this week going out and putting oh, flyers on doors in the heat than David and Adriana had walking with strollers with their little children. You know why? Yeah, I'm sure they had some level of fun. Maybe there was a little bit of ice cream involved here and there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a few things to try to lighten it up. But you know, it's a lot more fun to do things together, isn't it? It's really special when we get to do it together. Because there's so much of your time, and in your relationship with the Lord, there's so much of your time that's just spent alone, right? You alone with God in prayer. You alone with God in the Word. You alone with God. But that's one of the reasons we come together on Sunday and worship together. Why? Because we get to sing praises to God together. We get to encourage one another together. We get to pray together. We get to assemble and organize together to go out and to accomplish the mission that God has given all of us as individuals, but He's given it to us to do together. And you do your part, and you do your part, and I'll do my part, and together, in one accord, in prayer and supplication, asking God for His help with the power of the Holy Spirit, together we can be witnesses. There's so many reasons why it works better, better together. Because there are days you're not going to feel like being a witness. But it's sure encouraging to have somebody, hey, Let's do this together. We can do it. Do you remember Jesus when he sent his disciples out the first time? How did he send them out? Two by two, together. Remember when he created Adam in the Garden of Eden? What did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. Let me make him a help me. And we see that in our society. And I'm, I'm thankful for parents who are doing the best with the situations they have. But I think every person would agree that the way God designed it was to be done with mom and dad, husband and wife together? Why? Because that's how God designed us to function, to work. If God's put you in a situation where you're doing it on your own, praise God for a church family that wants to come around you and help you to do it together in raising your family. God's called us, yes, to witness but that witness is not just evangelization. That's part of it. It's a lot easier to do that together, too. It's been fun having Alyssa playing her violin up here. And she's great on her own. But, you know, it was even better together with the cello tonight. That was really special. And I know you get to travel some with your family and minister around the country. And it's great when you do things by yourself or just your family. But it's a lot more special when you get to do it together with a group of people. I think that's the way God designed us to function. And it's not just you and me together. It's you and me and God together to accomplish this work. There's so many ways where we get off track, right? Doing it by myself, all by myself. Doing it just me and God and nobody else. Or just me and you without God. But God's designed it so that it's you and me, us, together with Him to accomplish the work, the mission that he's given us to do. I think we need to be really clear on our mission. I think the Lord was clear on his mission. He repeated it multiple times. He demonstrated it through his life. And even when he repeated it multiple times and he, he's about to ascend up to heaven, they still didn't fully get it. But after he ascended and after they received the Holy Spirit of God, what happened? They became witnesses. They began to preach the gospel. 
They began to baptize as people trusted Christ as their Savior. They continued, Acts 2.42 says, in the apostles' doctrine and in prayers and in breaking of bread, they went from house to house. They sold their things that they had extra of and they had all things in common. They met each other's physical needs and encouraged one another spiritually. They rejoiced together. And the Bible says at the end of Acts chapter 2, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Do you think that's just Acts 2 stuff, or do you think God could do some of those same things today? I think He could. Because His mission hasn't changed. Our mission hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. The Word of God hasn't changed. Yeah, the culture's changed. But you know what? I think if we were to go back and live in that day, we'd say it was pretty bad back then too. I think God's given us everything we need to accomplish it. The question is, do you know what your mission is? Do you know what your purpose is, where you're going? And are you willing to lay aside those other distractions and that sin that easily comes up in our own hearts, the, the weight that the Scripture talks about, and to run with patience that race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I'm so thankful to be together with all of you. I'm so thankful to serve God with you. We can't do this on our own. Thanks for being a part. Thanks for those of you who have come to join us this week. Thanks for those of you who are part of this every week because this is the mission God's called us to do. May we be clear on it and consistent to follow together to do the work that He's called us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. Lord, in your word, this time together, around your truth, and I pray that you would take it, drive it deep into our hearts, convict us, because the reality is there may be somebody here tonight, Lord, you know their hearts, that may be discouraged, that might be distracted, might be busy with lots of other things, and they've forgotten what their purpose is. Lord, there may be somebody here tonight who's never trusted in you as Savior. They've been living their life for themselves. Lord, help them to understand that you are their Savior. You've come so that they could have life and have it more abundantly. And I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Savior, they'd trust you tonight. But Lord, for those of us who know you, may we not walk in our own flesh, in our own strength. Rather, may we look to you. Encourage us tonight. Challenge us. Help us to commit to you what you want us to do. In Jesus' name I pray.